From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Our goal as coders is not to get you the most money possible. Our goal is to get you as much money as you're entitled to and that you're going to be able to keep. And my goal isn't to terrify you into thinking that there's an auditor behind every bush, but you have to have enough care about your coding, enough paying attention to compliance, looking at the new rules, that you don't inadvertently get yourself into terrible trouble. That's Betsy Nicoletti talking about the pitfalls to avoid when developing your medical coding processes. We'll hear more from Betsy in just a moment with more insights on coding. But first, a word from our sponsors. MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The Financial Conference brings together leading financial experts from across the healthcare spectrum to discover the secrets to thrive during challenging times by digging deep into financial management, payer contracting analysis, and negotiation. The conference will be held from March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Most health systems lack a sophisticated understanding of the root cause of the losses within their network. HSG has identified the solutions. Whether you're struggling with your practice management dashboards or lacking a reporting structure that will keep your data consistent and valuable for decision-making, HSG has the answers you need. Go to hsgadvisors.com to improve your practice's performance today. Our guest today is Betsy Nicoletti. Betsy is a speaker, writer, and consultant, and a certified professional coder. She has worked in and around physician offices since the mid-80s. And Betsy says her goal is to simplify coding for physicians and their staff. Betsy, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. For sure. Now, you and I have worked on several projects over the last few years. We have never had you on this podcast. I don't know why, but it was an oversight. So we are so glad to have you on here. So let's just get started. I know many of our listeners may know you from MGMA events and other events out there, but just in case, walk us through what um, what is that healthcare career looked like? What are some of the highlights you want to share with us? Well, thank you. I started out in healthcare as a medical assistant many thousands of years ago, but the work that got me on, on the path that I'm on now was running a group, a network of physician offices at a rural hospital in Vermont. So this was years ago in the mid eighties, my boss was a, the administrator and he would hire physicians, they would stay for a short while and they would leave. And he said, we need to employ them, provide them a guarantee, and we need to keep these physicians in our community. 
So it was primary care physicians. Eventually, we, like everyone else, added OBGYN and general surgery and, and everything. But um, it was a way of keeping our community in physicians. And now they've turned into an FQHC since I've been gone. Um, he left, and I wanted to stay living in rural Vermont. And so I became a consultant, and I did... Um, general management. So I had a uh, community health center that I worked with a few days a week, a neurology practice that I was the practice manager, even though they had a terrific office manager. And I put together those kind of um, engagements. But here's the truth. I'm terrible at operations. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that about you. I'm gonna have to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to run anything. <laughs> so I branched out into, into coding. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about coding. I want to go back to something because that is such an interesting story to start out at that MA level, that medical assistant, and just keep moving up into practice administrator, now into consulting. What was the... <sighs> From the different roles you've had, what was the biggest challenge to you or for you to go from one part of the practice to another, or whether it's to go into, into consulting? What was that biggest challenge for you and why? Um, so if I think about consulting, as I was starting, one of my colleagues said to me, doing the work is easy but finding the work is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've never found it easy to, uh, I, I never make any cold calls or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I've never found it easy to sell. Um, right. And so that that's probably remains the challenge today. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because my background is in journalism, ran a number of magazines over like 20, 25 years. And then I went into the freelance world and I got very lucky in the sense, probably where yours has, where it becomes a word of mouth thing. The, mm -hmm. you know, the quote sales part of it, fortunately for me, I never had to go down that path, but it made me very nervous when I thought about it, when I went, uh-oh, you know, if something dried up and it didn't get enough new work coming in, I went, I'm still here, but like three, I could look three weeks from now or a month from now, and maybe I'd have to start putting on that quote sales hat. And I uh, just had to go get Maalox or something. <laughs> but was that, so with you, has it been just that word of mouth that people know that name, Betsy Nicoletti, and they know coding or they're synonymous. So you have the work there where you don't have to put the sales hat on too much? Yes. Although much of my work is local, mm -hmm. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, uh, because I spoke at some conferences and got some early business. Okay. And then I had a lot of repeat business, thank heavens for loyal clients. Um, and then the great thing about coding is that, I mean, <laughs> the terrible thing about coding is that it changes every year. So everyone needs to keep up if you're going to keep bringing in revenue and if you're going to be compliant. So change drives business for a coding consultant. So it's bad news for the practice because they have to learn new things. But 
the benefit to me is if they like the work I did before, they'll hire me to teach them about the new coding. Right, right. So yeah, that is so cool. And you're absolutely right, because you and I have worked on uh, an MGMA project coding for non-coders. We've done that annually for several years. Um, you, you hinted at it, but let's go in a little more detail. So what did lead you down that coding track? You said that, you know, the pure managing the operations, you identified that maybe that wasn't your strong suit. At what point did you get into, you know, working on the coding side and you went, this is what I'm good at. And, and I actually like it because I'm going to say this a few times during this interview. You actually like coding. I've seen you. You get revved up when you're in front of that crowd, you know, the audience, and you talk about coding with such passion. So what is it that led you there and, and knowing that that was your home? In some ways, it wasn't a natural fit for me. That wasn't what I had intended to do. And a fellow colleague, Kevin Stone, who was up at Dartmouth for many, many years and in Vermont at One Care, he said, you should do coding. There's so much need for that. And I said to him, oh, Kevin, I don't think I'd be any good at it. <laughs> um, but it really, there were a couple of things that drew me to it. One, I feel I love working with primary care and they need help with coding. Mm -hmm. And two, I felt like I could, I had a good balance about coding. Back in the good old days, the bad old days, you would see consultants who would say, oh, hire us and we'll increase your revenue by um, 40% or come and we'll show you how you can make more money next year than you ever thought. And then there are those coding consultants who say, um, be careful, you're going to get audited, you, you know, put the fear of the, of the OIG and <laughs> the racks in, in you. And I feel like there should be a balance there that our goal as coders is not to get you the most money possible. Our goal is to get you as much money as you're entitled to and that you're going to be able to keep. And my goal isn't to terrify you into thinking that there's an auditor behind every bush, but you have to have enough care about your coding, enough paying attention to compliance, looking at the new rules that you don't inadvertently get yourself into terrible trouble. Mm -hmm. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, then you do get revved up, you get excited. I'm hearing you getting revved up about coding right now. Is it helping practices and practice leaders kind of solve that piece of the puzzle of the practice and having that that affirmation that man I'm making a difference here I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth what is it about coding that you love so much I do think you can make a difference and I think you make a difference on both sides of that balance so you have the primary care doctor or the general surgeon who is super conservative they're never going to build a high level. They don't want to get audited and they're depriving their practice of resources that they should have. Um, and so I love working with those groups where legitimately and honestly, I can find revenue for them. Okay. I also feel like it's important if you do run into a group where it just isn't right. It isn't right what they're doing, that you give them that feedback so that they have the chance to make it right for themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I love that. So on your website at Betsy Nicoletti 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com and everybody can go out there and inundate that website if they want to. But your goal you put there is to simplify coding for physicians and their staff. You were talking about that earlier, but how do you do that? How do you simplify it for them? Um, I, I don't want to brag, but I do feel like <laughs> it is one of my skills is to take something yeah. that's complex and to bring it to the key points that you need to know. Um, and then to write it in a way or to put together a graphic in a way that makes it simple. I would say 20 years ago, I could more honestly say I was simplifying, but you know, CPT has grown. Mm -hmm. I, I did a little survey to, to my email group and said, what's your oldest CPT book and how many pages is it? And I think in 1985, somebody has a CPT book in their office. <laughs> <laughs> it was 450 pages long. And this year it's 12 or 1300 pages long. Well, how can we expect our clinicians, our practices to cope with that kind of enormous growth and change in coding, not to mention payer rules? And the CPT book isn't even in numerical order anymore, so it's really hard to use. So, so I do try to do that. I feel like that's a skill of mine. If I meet with a, with a physician or with a group of physicians, I always ask them first. Before I start, what do you want to make sure we get answered today? What, what should we talk about? Because I want to, as much as I can, engage them and have it not be adversarial, because sometimes it can be adversarial. And I try to keep the words must and should out of my okay. presentations. And I might say something like, you know, the documentation requirements for the code are, but I don't want a slide up there that says, you must. These are physicians. They have many more years of experience and uh, education than I have. I'm not going to talk to them that way. Okay. That is great. And I really wish our audience could see uh, the smile on your face as you talk about this, because it's very infectious. And I think it really brings that kind of a positive spirit to the whole discussion of coding because it is a blind spot for a lot of practices and a lot of practice leaders. So let's talk about it this way. Do you have a case study of a practice you've worked with where you have simplified it, where you have made it easier and where there has been a positive result that really that you could share with us today? So the way in a perfect world, the way I like to work with a group is that we start with education. And I have worked with a lot of small hospitals that em employed physicians in New England. And, you know, there they were facility billers and coders. And now they have a group of physicians to work with. So I think the best thing to do is start with education with the physicians and NPs and PAs, and also with the, the coders and the staff. Now there are many physician coders working in those positions. But when we first got started employing physicians, they were mostly facility coders. So good to start with education. Then I like to review notes. So just a small sampling. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways you can choose notes to review. And we can talk about that 
later, but I like to start with reviewing some notes and then meeting individually, either with a physician, NP or PA, or with a small group. You know, we'll meet with this group in this practice, there are five of them that works well, and giving them some kind of a feedback. And then on-site coding support is critical. So they've got to be getting somebody there who's going to be their go-to person, look something up for them, help them be able to audit some records. I'm always happy to jump in if they want a second opinion, but I think that without developing on-site coding support, you're not going to be successful. And then a program, because there's always going to be turnover in every specialty, but in primary care, there's a lot of turnover so that you have something in place. You get somebody new, this is how we train them. This is you know when we audit them after they've been trained, and this is the follow-up. Okay, that's awesome. So once you do implement that education, the training, the processes, what are the KPIs then, if they bring you in as a consultant again to just track things or to at least give them advice on what they should be tracking, where should their eyes go? Where should that analysis be pointing to? Yeah, well, data is really important. And uh, depending on the specialty, you know, we wanna look at the level, the percentage of E&M services that they're billing in each category, new and established, or if they're hospital-based, the hospital services. If we can find out the percentage of modifiers that they use and what the norm is for their specialty. I mean, that varies markedly, but there are some, some specialties where they have, you know, <laughs> 70% use of modifier 25, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but very high and somewhere it's lower. That's confounded by payers that require modifier 25 when it, they shouldn't, they have a claims edit and it, but that's, that's another question. So we always wanna be looking at outliers. If you're looking at your E&M distribution or your use of modifier 57 or modifier 24, you wanna be, if you have a number of physicians or special uh, providers in the same specialty, comparing them against themselves and against national data. And then if you've got somebody who's the queen of 99212s, <laughs> you want to pay attention. Or the person who thinks that everything's a level five, you've got to pay special attention to those outliers. Okay. Was there something else you were going to add to that? Yeah, I worked with this very small private practice in Vermont in the shadow of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, they remained private through the years. And they had some physicians and nurse practitioners. And they told me that they looked at one metric every month, the percentage of, of established patient visits billed as level four visits. Because there weren't that many new patients, the practice was essentially closed. So they just wanted to look at how many level four visits, because if it was 20% level four visits, that was way below the norm. If it was 80%, they might want to look and make sure the notes were okay. Okay. All right. Well, one other topic that really is just unavoidable to talk about right now in healthcare is staffing shortages. So it is such a, a problem, such a challenge now for practices. So have the staffing shortages, have they impacted coding and billing at all right now? What have you seen out there over the last two years? Well, at, at, at first, some of my clients furloughed people mm -hmm. in March and April of 2020. People, of course, they, those groups came back. More coders are working remotely and 
and not having to come into the practice. So we got that set up. The main thing, it is hard to find coders. I mean, if you talk to anyone, trying to find a experienced coder is difficult, but telehealth has made it worse because the rules for each payer are different. So my clients built these enormous grids, you know, this payer, this payer as a TPA, this payer as a Medicare Advantage plan, what place of service, what modifier, did you need time? So essentially my groups have every single telehealth note being reviewed. Whereas before an office visit in many practices, the provider finishes it, closes the note, it goes through the, an edit, but it basically goes out without being reviewed. Not anymore, not for telehealth. So that's been a real problem. Okay. All right. Now, in looking over your website, uh, I did find a, a resource on there. It's codingintel.com. It's just like it sounds, but I will uh, put a hyperlink in the show notes here as well for people. But tell us about codingintel.com. What is that? So you can tell I'm really old, but do you remember back in the day when we used to have um, list serves mm -hmm. and people would type in, what is it about incident two billing? And then some helpful consultant would type it out, would write them an answer. And then a month later, there'd be somebody new on the list serve and it would all happen over and over again. <laughs> it's like, these people are very generous, but life is short. Right. So it seemed to me that there would, should be a place not where we're going to go and look up codes or not where we're gonna go find all the Medicare regulations, but where we have some place that answers those questions. How do you bill incident to services? Tell me in plain English, don't send me to the Medicare benefit policy manual, chapter 15, explain it to me. So I started coding Intel to be a resource. Um, it's got a lot of information for primary care, general surgery, uh, E&M services, certainly, uh, preventive medicine services. So, so it has both, as the young folks say, it has long form. You can download your 20 page um, reference on incident two services or short form. You can download a two page reference on the new Medicare shared services rules. So I tried to make it easy for um, groups to find information. Okay, that's great. And again, everybody, that's codingintel.com. Again, I will also drop a link in the show notes for everybody as well. What a great resource uh, that is. So thank you for that. So I have to ask, you did drop uh, at least a code or two late, uh, earlier in this interview, but do you have a favorite code? <laughs> now that will give away my passwords. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like the E&M code set. I liked it a lot more when the set was numerical, but there it is. So I, I like that. And I've come to like um, reading the Medicare final rule. And it's like a puzzle sometimes seeing what their policy is, what they're thinking, what they were thinking. So I feel like that is my specialty. Okay. Okay. That is so cool. And I do want to ask you a last question or two here then, some advice that you can give practices who do struggle with coding or any aspect of that. So first of all, um, 
I do want to ask you one thing about that. What do practices or practice leaders get wrong about coding when they're, I guess, when they're building their strategy or their process? Because you go in and dissect it and you analyze and you help. Where are they getting something wrong and creating inefficiencies there or errors? Um, I think doing double work is a problem. So uh, sometimes we have the, the provider code and then a coder codes on top of it. And then we have to decide what the real truth is, where, where the truth lies. So I think in general, we want a clear distinction about what is the role of physicians, NPs and PAs. Do they get to select their codes or not? And if they don't, then don't have them do it and don't, don't overdo it. So don't, let's not do double work. Um, I do think that it's important when you're hiring a coder to find somebody with a balance who's going to be invested in the success of the program, but also is um, who isn't driven by fear, you know, these, oh, I don't want to go to jail or it's not worth my license, whatever. We don't want to be driven by fear, but we, we our motivation can't be just the most revenue that there is, who has some kind of a balance between we're going to do this right but we're not going to be terrified. Okay. So I just want to end on a, a more personal question. You know, we've been going through a lot of stress, everybody, particularly in healthcare. And every time I get partnered with you on an MGMA event or on this podcast, you make me feel better. You have a positive disposition and a smile that, and a passion and an energy about life. So what do you do? What is your work-life balance? What's the secret that just that you bring a good spirit to every interaction that you have? Well, that's so kind of you. <laughs> now, we had this big ice storm two days ago. So if you <laughs> talked to me yesterday when I was out chopping ice. <laughs> positive. Um, where I live in Massachusetts, I'm an easy drive to a number of places where there are woods and where you can take your dog and take your dog off leash. And so in the morning before I, often before I really start working, take a walk in the woods and whatever, it just helps. That is awesome advice to get out there and enjoy nature or whatever else that a person has a passion about. So that's awesome, Betsy. Thank you so much. It took us four years to get you on here. I'm going to make it my personal uh, quest here that it's not four more years before we have you back on. So thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. I always love my work with MGMA and feel really honored when, um, when I'm invited. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Betsy Nicoletti. If you're interested in furthering your coding expertise, go to BetsyNicoletti.com or go to Betsy's valuable coding resource, CodingIntel.com. Also, we want to thank MGMA's Financial Conference and HSG for sponsoring this week's show. If you're struggling with your practice management dashboards or lacking a reporting structure, that will keep your data consistent and valuable for decision-making, HSG has the answers you need. Go to hsgadvisors.com to improve your practice's performance today. In the Medical Practice Excellence Financial Conference, 
is an industry-leading financial management conference designed to arm healthcare professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. The financial conference will be held March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. And you can go to mgma.com slash events to register today. And if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. If you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.